Morning, everyone. As Angela says, my name's Rebecca, and uh, I'm part of the staff here, part of the preaching team, and it's my job today to preach from the Bible um, on this Palm Sunday. So there'll be churches all over the world today doing things like waving branches, and some of them will even have a donkey in the room. You seen that? Ever been to a church where there's been a donkey on Palm Sunday? Do you think we should do that? Get a donkey in. They don't. They often don't have carpets, do they, in the sanctuary? So I guess that makes it a bit harder. If anything goes wrong uh, with the donkey, then yeah. And our carpet cleaning machine's not up to much at the moment, so we haven't got a donkey for you. But so today's Palm Sunday. Some of you might be putting these little palm crosses in your window this week, Holy Week. And as we've already heard, Palm Sunday is the day we remember that. Jesus comes to Jerusalem a week before uh, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. He comes for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to die. And we're going to look at that today. Um, And in order to remember that, as I say, people wave palm branches, and we'll see why that is in a minute. But it is the beginning, therefore, as uh, John's already alluded earlier, the beginning of Holy Week today. And uh, some of you will have practices, I'm sure, that you observe during Holy Week as you think and meditate and ponder on that this week, what we call the Passion of Christ as Jesus heads towards the cross. Um, And I just wanted to encourage us, really, to maybe, if you don't have practices like that, maybe think about just spending some time in the Gospels this week. Whatever you're reading in the Bible at the moment, that's great. Crack on with that. But... Maybe just spend a bit of time in the Gospels, reading these things, reading about the week of Christ's passion, reading about this most central week of human history, really, leading up to the cross of Christ. And and if you, like me, you use the Bible app on your phone, then there's reading plans for Holy Week and ways that you can just, just help you to think again, to really think again on what this means. Because what happens later in Holy Week and what we remember later in Holy Week really is, it's not too great a thing to say, it really is the, the fulcrum, the pivot of human history. The cross of Christ. And I know it's not yet Good Friday, but we, we live in the good of that every day, don't we? We live in the good of the cross every day and, of course, the resurrection, which we'll be celebrating particularly next Sunday. So maybe this is this is up to you i just throw it out to you maybe this week you can find new ways or different ways just to look again at the gospels and what happens in this holy week when jesus comes to jerusalem but today's palm sunday is the day that we remember jesus entering into jerusalem now it's worth saying it's not the first time he'd been to jerusalem but it's a very important journey and the gospel writers all four of them spend a lot of time preparing us and taking us through this final week. So all the Gospels, in fact, cover, you could say, 30-odd years of the story of Jesus. Some of them, of course, start pretty much where his ministry starts, so maybe three years, but there's just really just a few pages of narrative about the life of Jesus. But a large hunk of it is about this final week. Uh, It's not strictly the final week, of course, because he comes back to life. We know the end of the story. And he lives today still glorified, doesn't he? So, uh, yeah, so the gospel writers slow everything right down and they spend a lot of time taking us through bit by bit 
step by step this Holy Week. So why don't we do that in our own reading and in our own lives? Just slow it right down and maybe just think and meditate a bit more on those things. So uh, I'm going to read from Luke's account of Palm Sunday, which actually, funnily enough, Luke doesn't actually mention palms at all. So all the Gospel writers, you know, we have four Gospels, four different people, and they bring out different details, different elements of every story they tell, just like we would. You know, if we all gave an account of the same thing, we would bring out different details. Funnily enough, Luke doesn't mention the palms. Um, it doesn't matter. It won't, it won't ruin the story for you. I'm just going to read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, and the scriptures on the screen for those of you good eyesight and also on the monitors at the side so I'm reading from Luke 19 starting at verse 28 and Jesus has been he's been on his way he's been heading for Jerusalem as we read if you go and read before this in the gospels he's heading towards Jerusalem very determined and purposeful towards his destination and where we come into the story he's just been speaking teaching and actually telling a parable which is why it starts with after Jesus had said this so that's what's going on after Jesus had said this he continued on ahead going up to Jerusalem and when he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives he sent two of the disciples telling them go to the village ahead of you when you enter it you'll find a colt tied there that has never been ridden untie it and bring it here if anyone asks you why are you untying it just say the Lord needs it so those who were sent ahead found it exactly as he had told them as they were untying the colt its owners asked them why are you untying that colt they replied the Lord needs it then they brought it to Jesus threw their cloaks on the colt and had Jesus get on it as he rode along they spread their cloaks on the road and as he approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives the whole crowd of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest but some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him teacher rebuke your disciples he answered I tell you if they keep silent the very stones will cry out. So that's the story, that's the bit of uh, the text. We're going to look at a little bit further on in a minute, but just to bring out some things here. As I've already said, the gospel writers, they all bring out certain different elements of every story they tell. And I'd like to suggest that that's no accident. It's no mistake. And very often when we look and we dig a bit deeper, we find that these guys, in this case Luke, are very deliberately trying to tell us some things. Okay, so just to look uh, at what we think Luke is trying to tell us here, and just say I've got two purposes this morning. I'll tell you what they are so at the end you can tell me whether I achieve them or not. One of them is to look at how God has a plan. God has a plan. There's always a plan. And everything in this text is in the plan of God and how we see that at working and the other thing I want to explain today is that that plan of God can include you they're the two things I think just very simply they're the two things that we want to look at today God has a plan and that plan can include you if you want it to 
Okay, so the first thing we, we read this thing that we where Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem and he says to two of the guys he's with, you go ahead uh, and you're gonna this is very important, you're gonna find a colt, which is a young donkey. It's gonna be tied up, you're, you're just to go and untie it. I, I, I wouldn't have wanted to be one of the two who had just to go and nick the donkey. Uh, just go and untie it, he says, but if they ask you, because he knows they will, why why you're tying it? Just to say the teacher needs it, the Lord needs it. Okay. And uh, for those of us who want to look a bit further and see, well, why is Luke telling us that? We know that the prophet Zechariah, at the end of the Old Testament, so this is around 500 years or so before these events, Zechariah said this: "Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion! Shout, daughter of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you." He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a young donkey, the foal of a female donkey. Jesus knows this. God knew this in advance of all things, didn't he? And Luke is telling us, look, your king is coming to you. Your king is coming. There's this man riding on a donkey coming down from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. Who is this man? Who is he? What's he doing here? Why is he stirring things up? Why are people for him or against him? And uh, Luke says, look, remember Zechariah, your king is coming on a donkey. There's no accidents, there's no kind of coincidences. It's all in the plan. This is a king, Luke is trying to say to us. This is the king. Everything is as he said it would be. Did you hear that? sent the two ahead and they found it just as he said it would be. Strange. Later in the week when you read about Maundy Thursday and Jesus asks his followers to go ahead and prepare the Passover that they're going to share together this special meal, he says, uh, when you go into Jerusalem, you're going to see a guy with a, with a pitcher of water. Go with him. There's a room. That's where we're going to have Passover. And do you know what it says? They went and found it just as he had told them. Jesus knows the plan. He knows the plan. And when he gets to the cross, when he gets to the end of this week and his own violent execution, it's all in the plan. And he knows the plan. And he sets his satnav, if you will, his destination is Jerusalem for this reason alone. He knows he will sacrifice himself for us about that later. Jesus is in control of the whole process. We must never um, must never fall into that trap of reading the Bible, sometimes people do, as if God somehow punishes the Son for us. No, no, no. Jesus as the eternal Son of God determines with the Father and the Spirit. God three in one determines to go to this death eternal son of God. He is in control. He's, if you like, the director, like the film director of this scene. He knows exactly what's going on. None of it is a surprise. Does that make you feel so confident in our saviour? It really does. The other thing that Luke says to us, okay, we don't have any palm branches, but what we do have is people taking off their clothes. They put them on the animal for him to sit on, and then they put them on the road as he comes. As uh, Paul said at the beginning, a right royal reception or whatever he said. And again, Luke is 
showing us something. So in uh, right back in 2 Kings, one of the history books of the Bible, quite close to the beginning, somewhere around 800, 900 years before this, this is what happens when a king is crowned. This is King Jehu. It says, this is what the Lord has said. I have designated you as king over Israel. This is Jehu. Each of them quickly took his cloak and spread them out at his feet. The trumpet was blown and they shouted, Jehu is king. It's again, he was saying, look, for those who want to see, look who this is. There's a king. And we rightly take off our cloaks and lay them before him to make way for the king. It's beautiful. These little details. And another king. The plan of God goes from all eternity to all eternity, doesn't it? And when we read scriptures that are written hundreds and hundreds of years before, and they help point us to Jesus, it just makes me marvel. It just makes me say, whoa, God, your plan is always perfect, and it is always carried through. This is another king. This is the great king Solomon. This is, in, this is about thousand years almost before Christ. But look what they do with Solomon. Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, some other people put Solomon on King David's mule and led him to Gihon. Zadok the priest took a horn filled with olive oil and poured it on him. The trumpet was blown and the people declared long live King Solomon. All the people followed him up playing flutes and celebrating so loudly they made the ground shake. Here's a procession. Here's a king on a, a, a mule in this case. And they're celebrating. We're supposed to see this. It's the king. But not like Solomon or like Jacob. The king. The king of kings. The eternal God made man sitting on a donkey and coming to Jerusalem for one reason and one reason only. So good. And the other thing Luke shows us in the crowd, if we can try and imagine this scene, and I imagine some of you have seen it when filmmakers have tried to reproduce it, uh, or sometimes, you know, Sunday schools and churches have tried to reproduce the scene and their palms are out. You've got this crowd gathering. And uh, yes, they're there to welcome him. But as we see from what Luke shows us, Jesus splits the crowd. Jesus always divides a crowd. I don't know if you found that find out you're a Christian. <laughs> Jesus really divides the crowd, doesn't he? And in this crowd we find there's people singing, proclaiming him as king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Glory in the highest, they're proclaiming. And yet the religious leaders are fearful. They're nervous. They're like, they say, teacher, you, sh you shouldn't let them say these things. This is too much. Rebuke them. Do you know what Jesus says? He says, don't you worry about it, because if they don't do it, creation itself will do it. He, he's showing us, Luke is showing us, Jesus is showing us. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is not just any king. This is the king. This is the king of kings, the eternal king. He says, if you don't do it, the very creation, the stones themselves. And I don't have time to do this, but all through this narrative, there are allusions to the Old Testament scriptures. All through it. There are direct quotes from the Hebrew scriptures. There are little allusions to it all the way through. God's plan is from everlasting and this was it the cross of Christ this is the plan God's plan was from everlasting and it will always be fulfilled God's plans for your life will always be fulfilled and in case you didn't know God's plan for your life is to worship him yeah it's to live 
surrendered to him a life of worship and service. That's his plan for your life. I suggest you get on board. Like John said, we join his team. He doesn't come to ours. Yeah, we join his team. We are on his side. Yeah, he's the Lord. The Bible calls him the, the, the Lord of heaven's army. Yeah, he's at the head of the army and we follow him. That's his plan for our life. That's how we get caught up and tied up with God's plans in surrender and service to him. And Luke, I feel like what Luke is doing here is he portrays these two responses in the crowd. Is he's saying to us, okay, what about you? You've got to pick a side. He's saying, here they are, which side are you on? He's inviting us readers and those looking into this scene to take a side. And let's be honest, that's what every human being who gets the opportunity, and I'm giving it to you now, does. You pick a side. You either say, this is the king and you worship him, or you don't. And that's the choice. And what Jesus is doing here, and I hope you can hear this, because I don't want to overcomplicate things, but I feel like this is really important to say, is that Jesus comes to Jerusalem for one purpose only, to go to that place of the skull, as it's called, and to die on a cross. And he does it, and when he does that, and next Sunday, of course, we'll celebrate the resurrection, so can't ever separate the cross the resurrection from the ascension because that resurrected living Christ is now ascended in the heavens, seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and receiving worship from us. But as soon as this event of Easter, as we call it, happens, the whole of history changes. The things are made new. There's a new life that starts at this point, which will go on forever and ever. So right now we live in that newness of what Jesus has instigated at the cross we look forward to its completion when as we know because the Bible tells us that Jesus will return and that this earth as messed up and corrupt as it is will be transformed and renewed into a new creation and we live there forever in the light of worshipping him and his goodness and we know then that there's no, there's nothing then of this kingdom left. There's nothing then of sickness or sadness or death. There's nothing of that left in that new creation. But that new creation started at that first Easter. When Jesus died, everything changed. It's begun in us, hasn't it? If you're born again, if you trust Jesus for your salvation, if you've surrendered to him, the new life has begun says doesn't it? it's like the old is it's actually just gone it's gone there's new creation you're a new person in Christ and it's the beginning of something that will be fulfilled when Jesus returns and then in all its forms we will live in the renewed creation forever that is our hope that is our hope for eternity I hope that's in your heart because it's in mine and it's it's glorious absolutely glorious and right now we enjoy knowing him we enjoy the fact that he has saved us and changed us and that is as real as real can be from the moment that we acknowledge and receive Christ 
above our hope is even greater yeah because it's unmitigated it's like unfettered if you like there's there's nothing's going to get in the way of that communion of us with our heavenly father and with our big brother christ it's going to be perfect i'm missing on my notes i've gone off but it's that's what that's what we hope for and that's what begins at easter because jesus comes to jerusalem where does he go he goes to the center of jewish life religious life jerusalem life he goes to the temple and i'm going to read from verse 45 just a few verses jesus entered the temple courts and he began to drive out those who were selling things there saying to them it is written my house will be a house of prayer but you have turned it into a den of robbers Jesus immediately goes to the temple and he does probably what his friends are not expecting him to do. He loses it. He he gets angry with what he finds there. Um, And again, you've probably seen depictions of this in film and other gospel writers put it slightly differently, but he, he, he overturns tables and he drives out from the temple courts those who are selling, and they're selling animals for temple sacrifice. They're not just selling, you know, it's not just any old market they're selling animals for temple sacrifice and they're changing money for people who've come from other places in order to pay the temple tax in order to buy animals to sacrifice but they have so clogged up this court of the temple with this stuff and something very important is happening here and I think this is what's happening here the court of the temple where these things are happening is, a, is an outside area of the temple it's part of the within the temple but it's on the outside and it's called the court of the Gentiles and when Jesus quotes from Isaiah and he said as it is written my house will be a house of prayer what the quote actually says is my house will be a house of prayer for all the nations for all the nations and so there's a part of this temple where the God of the Bible where Yahweh the the Israelites God is worshipped but there's a part of this temple where foreigners can come where non-Jews can come where people who've become worshippers of the God of the Bible can come to the temple it's the court of the Gentiles they're not allowed in the rest where only the Jews go but they're allowed there and they're coming to Jerusalem for Passover to worship and what does Jesus find? he finds they can't get in there because it's been so taken over by commerce and business and the corruption that's surrounding the temple. And Jesus is not only pronouncing judgment on the temple and what they're doing wrong, what he's saying is, I've come to Jerusalem for this reason, is to die so that all nations and all people will have an inheritance in me. Isn't it? That's what he did when he came to that cross, to that moment. He made a way for every human being, man, woman, uh, child, every nation, every tongue, to come and know peace with God to have that hope that I talked about earlier that eternal hope where everything is good can you get your head around that everything is good we come to know a good God who's a good father who has good plans who has an eternity of perfection that we get to share that we get to get on board with him and what he's doing and who he is my house, he says, will be a house of prayer for all nations. And Jesus comes to Jerusalem on this week of all weeks and he finds that the 
court of the Gentiles is clogged up with, with traders and business and he is cross because he knows his job, what he has come to achieve is to welcome all peoples into the family of God. Every person who would receive him is welcome. Isaiah, the prophet, many hundreds of years before Jesus, Isaiah writes this, and this is God speaking about what Isaiah calls the, the servant. So it's, uh, there's many chapters of the prophet Isaiah which are talking about Jesus. Isaiah didn't really know that. But with hindsight, those who search the scriptures in the light of Christ and what he's done, we see there are so much in Isaiah that speak of this servant, this servant who is Jesus Christ. And God says this in Isaiah. He says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. It's not that he won't do that. It's like, that's not enough. He says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. In Jesus, in this epic journey to Jerusalem and through this coming week in Jerusalem, Jesus is heading to a point in time, that crucifixion, where what he does, what Paul says in Colossians is this, he takes our certificate of debt, if you like, you've got a debt to God, God is holy, we are not, we are excluded, so rather like that temple, you know, before Jesus the Jews were welcomed into the temple, the Gentiles were welcomed, but on the outside, that's the way it was. And what Jesus does here at this moment in time is he breaks that division. He breaks it and he says, no, he is the light to the Gentiles. He is the one who can bring salvation to all nations of the world. And as Paul says in Colossians, he takes that certificate of indebtedness, that debt we can't pay. And what does he do with it? He nails it to the cross. That's what Paul says. He nails it to the cross in the cross in the eternal Son of God made flesh, giving himself as a sacrifice, he takes our debt and he nails it to the cross. With Christ, our indebtedness to God is nailed to the cross. Isn't that remarkable? And he doesn't only do that at the cross. Your sin, my sin, the things that we do and think and say wrong, he takes sin with a capital S and death with a capital D and he triumphs over them. The, this world, in case you haven't noticed and I suspect you had, is under the power of sin and death. Capital S, capital D. The Bible talks about the power of sin. So yes, we sin. Yes, we do wrong. Yes, my individual debt needs paying. But there is a greater power than that. The power of sin and death that rules over this world. And Jesus at the cross dealt the final death blow to sin and death. Didn't he? You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's on his knees and he's praying and he's sweating profusely. He's warring for us there. You know, that, that uh, often is called agony in the garden, that scene. And that word agony, the root of, of the word agony is not just pain. It's war. It's struggle. It's It's fighting. He started, there's a fight over the powers of darkness and we know who's going to win. 
we know who's going to win and Jesus at the cross as he comes purposefully to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday he knows what's at the end of the week and he embraces it because he will be the light to the Gentiles that means he is the hope for all people if you feel like a, a religious person or, or a non-religious person today if you feel like an insider or an outsider it doesn't matter doesn't matter you are welcomed in because of Jesus because of that extraordinary thing that happened which we remember as Good Friday comes extraordinary thing the eternal Son of God conceived with the Father and the Son this plan to rescue humanity to give us a hope and a future to give us that eternal hope purity and peace and perfection with him forever it's exciting it's so exciting and I don't know who you, I don't know all of you I know lots of you I don't know all of you here today but I do know that I just I, I want you to know and that God wants you to know today there is a plan his plan was Jesus' plan was to go to the cross so that you could know peace with God, so that you could know eternal life and hope. That was the plan. He carried out that plan to perfection. And as we know, on the day that he was crucified, you remember the story that the, the sky went black. There were signs in the heavens, as it were, in the skies, in the very fabric of the earth in response to this epic battle that Jesus won. We talked in the last couple of weeks in the book of Ephesians about principalities and powers, all these strange words that refer to the powers of evil that are at work in the world. Jesus defeated them at the cross. And there are still people in this world in rebellion. We know that. There, are still, there is still activity of powers of darkness in this world. We know that. But for us, more importantly, we know that at the cross... Jesus dealt them that death blow so that our hope is now in him eternally so that we know there's a time coming where there's no sickness or sadness or death you know God wants to minister to us in the here and now in those things that we're experiencing if you're bereaved you know that's painful that's a mark of this world this kingdom that we live in right now and he wants to comfort us and help us through those things but the ultimate comfort for all those things is our eternal hope in Christ isn't it? our eternal hope in Christ because the truth is he wasn't just Jesus he was the Christ he was the anointed chosen one who would bring salvation to all people so that all people would be welcomed into the family of God and uh somebody met, sent me a great message this morning on whatsapp about jesus entering jerusalem and it's often called in your bible i have often have a title it's called the triumphal entry yeah, that's what we know this story as the triumphal entry because jesus enters into jerusalem as the triumphant king of course he enters into jerusalem to go to the cross and we don't get the triumph without the cross we don't get the freedom without we don't get the resurrection without the execution, obviously. 
Um, and that song that we sang earlier struck me so much, the cross before me. You know, we have to remember, friends, that our response to the cross of Christ is to what is, just take up our own cross, isn't it? The cross is ever before us because our response to Jesus is to do what he says, is to surrender to him, is to follow him. And that means, and it's just a metaphor for most of us, take up your cross. It means lay your life down for him. Give him everything. Because we don't have to give our physical lives, most of us. Some people in nations around the world are doing just that because of their faith. But but we surrender our lives to him. That's what it means to be a disciple, isn't it? A follower, a servant of Jesus. To give him everything. Yeah? Because he will look after it and he will look after you. Yeah, it's not a fearful thing, it's a wonderful thing. But it is just that, it is surrender. And I just want us to respond to that. I do feel, as I say, that God wants you to know there is a plan. And it may be that you're feeling things are out of control in some aspect of your life, I don't know. But God is never out of control. Jesus was perfectly in control of all those events knew the plan and he followed it through and in every sense God is God, he is on the throne he is sovereign, he is king and he has a plan and life can throw us curveballs and you will have ups and downs but God wants you to know he has a plan and he will take care of it Yeah. so we're going to have real confidence in that but I also want us to be able to respond if we feel uneasy if we feel we're being tossed around from one thing to the next, you know, God wants to come and bring peace and confidence in his plan for you, yeah? And the other thing is, if you're not, and I know Paul's already done this, but can't do it too many times, if you don't feel, if you feel like an outsider, if you think, well, I've not yet come into the family of God, I've not yet really got that in my heart, what that means, that Jesus has made a way for me to have peace with God, then you can do that today. You can do that because Jesus did everything that was needed to make peace between you and God. What you need to do, as I've just said, is surrender and say, yeah, okay, I know this is what I want. I want to be on your team, God. I want to be on the side of, uh, of victory, of the King of Kings. If you want to do that, I just encourage you to speak to God now in your heart or out loud. But do also come and speak to um, me or Paul or one of the others that you know here about that and let's talk about that. Can we just stand in response? Just take a moment to just respond to, to what we've heard. Thank God for all that he's done, for the cross, for the wonder of it.